awesome. So we are here beginning a brand new series. I'm excited about what God is doing in this series already at our nine o'clock, just seeing the way that God is moving and I cannot wait to see what he is going to do in our lives over the next few weeks as we lead into Christmas. Who's excited about Christmas? Woohoo! <laughs> Lauren's hand is up. She's dancing with excitement. It's going to be good. Christmas, God's got some good stuff in store. So we're looking at this idea of the commands of Christ. And 2,000 years ago, there was a rabbi from Nazareth who was a bit radical. And his name was Jesus. And it's funny that in this tiny little town of Nazareth, this rabbi who came from kind of nowhere, his teaching and his way of life and the way that he, he moved has transformed history. It's transformed everything this incredible rabbi. And one of the things we fall into the trap of, particularly in the church, is sometimes we, we preach Jesus or we, we talk about Jesus as if he was kind of a guru. Uh, we talk about his gospel as if it's some kind of self-help gospel, like what can I get to sustain me for my week in doing my things? Um, and we have this, I think, slightly skewed idea that, that Jesus was kind of like, yeah, our life coach or or someone who just said nice things or like so often I hear in the church I had a conversation with a lady years ago and she just goes you know the, G, the G, Jesus in my mind is just the Jesus of love just allowing us to you know he just wants us to be happy all these things I'm like well you can't just decide who you want Jesus to be and the interesting thing about this radical rabbi is that all through scripture he has brought command after command after command He's brought commands, like he's actually spoken and he said, do this, live this way. This is something that you need to hold on to. And so we're going to have a look at some of these commands, the commands of Christ, the commands of Christ. And so we're going to, over the next few weeks, unpack a few, but today we're going to begin with the greatest of them all, the greatest command of them all, the command that Jesus says, this is the greatest command. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Mark chapter 12. Reading from verse 28 through to 34, it says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer to a conversation they'd had prior, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Of all the commandments, of all the law, of all the Old Testament, of everything that you've, we, we do here in Jerusalem, what's the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. There is no commandment greater than these to love the Lord your God. Isn't that fascinating? Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Have you ever noticed that sometimes we can hear something so much so often that the meaning and the significance of that word just gets lost. Have you ever noticed that? Like toilet, teeth, and bed. <laughs> I was laughing with Timmy Barnett during the week 
about the fact that our kids have been going to bed for a long time, right? Like, my son Bailey's almost 10. He's been going to bed every night for almost 10 years, and he still sucks at it. (laughs) He's still terrible at it. And for 10 years, almost, I have said the same command. Toilet, teeth, and bed. Yeah? For 10 years, almost. I reckon he's heard that command about 10,000 times in the space of his 10 years. And yet, night after night after night, when I say toilet, teeth, and bed, toilet, teeth, and bed, toilet, teeth, and bed, I'll go into his room and he's lying there playing with some toy or reading some book, his teeth far from clean and his bladder certainly not empty. And I'll be like, Bailey, toilet, teeth, and bed. And he's like, I know. And my response has become, do you? Do you actually know? Because it sure doesn't look like it. It sure doesn't look like you know what you're doing because you're still lying here and you still haven't obeyed it. And there's something that happens when we give a command over and 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 over again. We hear it so often it just goes in one ear, out the other, and it just becomes this thing. It just becomes a cliche. It just becomes a command that's meaningless and does nothing. And I think people, especially who have grown up in the church, so often the commands that Jesus gives us are just like toilet, teeth, and bed. We hear something, well, well, I've heard that before. And it's in one ear, out the other, and it doesn't take root in our lives. And especially when I come to this command right here, this thing for me is just like this. You know, just because we know something, just because we can recite something, just because we can quote something doesn't mean that we have understanding. Just because I can be like, yep, toilet, teeth, and bed, doesn't mean that I actually do it and obey it and step into it. And the same is true with the commands of Christ. The same is true with this command right here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you know when I hear this, it, do you know what it takes? It takes me to grade seven. It takes me to grade seven, lining up at Sunrise Christian School. Do you know what we used to do? We had the, we had the assembly hall and in the assembly hall, all the year sevens, would line up on the side of the assembly hall. Every, all the kids would be sitting here facing that way with the teacher at the front. We'd line up on the side, we'd have our chair, and we'd have a guitar train. Ever had a guitar train before? It's fun. Here's what it looked like. We had Daniel Gibbs. Daniel Gibbs would be at the head of the guitar train because he was the best guitarist. So that was important for him to be there. Next to him would be Paul Butler because he was the second best guitarist. And they'd be sitting up there. I'd be a long way down the line. I wanted to play guitar, and that's what we did. And so what we'd do is we'd sit there, and we'd all sit down, and we'd look down the line, and you'd look at the person's fingers in front of you. Because as you looked at the person's fingers, that was sort of, you you know, you didn't read cheap music back in there, did you? And so you'd look, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, what are they doing? And you'd do this thing. And we used to play a song, and this is why every time I hear this thing, it reminds me of this song. We used to sing a song called Love the Lord Your God. Does anyone know this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind, and love all mankind as you would love yourself. And And so we would sing this, right? And like the coolest thing was when you learned the little bit, like you go love, then you go. Yeah, it was awesome. And when you got that, you're like, oh. 
And then the next bit, you'd go to the sea and you'd be like, and you'd be like, oh, yeah. And then you'd do this, you'd hit the D and you'd be like, and you'd suss it, you'd be like, yeah, I'm cool. Because I know how to play that song. And you used to sing it as a round. Do you want to have a go? Because the way it would work, like it's, there's three parts. There's the love, the Lord, you go with heart, and then there's the, I can't find the note. Then it's the, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your, and so you do that bit. And then there's a third bit, which is, we've got Christian lives to live. So that's what we're going to do, because that's what this verse reminds me of. All right, are you ready? So we'll start with you. We'll start with everyone. And then when we get to the end of that and we go to the, these guys are going to go the love. And then you guys are going to start from the beginning again. We'll have a little bit of a round. Are you with me? Do you want to stand to your feet? Let's do it. Ready? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. And love all mankind as you would love yourself. And Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. There it is, all of mankind as you would love. One more time. And love, life to live with God. Jesus Christ to live with God. Nothing too hard because in we are one love. Hey, give yourselves a round of applause. <coughs> so when I think, you know what I think of this, when I read this so often, that's where I go. I go straight to year seven, I go straight to Sunday school, and I'm like, yep, that's what that command is. And then, something happened to me recently, as I started reading this command, and do you know what I realized? Jesus calls this the greatest command. Like, I, in, in my, I guess, growing theological understanding as a younger Christian, probably, you know, in that arrogance, I was like, Man, the word I used to use was, this is milk. Oh, don't give us meat. If a preacher ever preached this, well, oh, come on, man. Give me meat. I want some spiritual steak. I want you to talk about end times, and I want to talk about revelation, and oh, I want you to talk about predestination, because that's the pinnacle of biblical scholarship. And then I was reading, I was going through the Gospels again, and I landed on this and I did what I was always going to do, which is just skim through and be like, oh yeah, yep, love, I know that. I know that. And then I had this profound thought where I felt like God said, do you? Doesn't look like it. Do you? Do you really know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul? Because the evidence is not in the, rec the, the recitation the evidence is in the doing and obedience. When we know something, there's a difference between Greek word oido, which is to know up here, and Greek word gnosko, which is to know and hear. And to know is to believe, and to believe is to enact. And it occurred to me that this has, this is so much greater than the depth of a Sunday school lesson. This is not simple stuff. This right here is what Jesus says is the greatest command. The greatest. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the greatest thing 
any Christian can do. That is the highest, most extraordinary calling that we can do. And I looked at this and I started to explore this and I started to think about the setting and I realized this has, this is profound, this moment. Because when we understand the context, it's gonna bring something out. You see, this is written not to a bunch of Sunday school kids. This is written in Passover festival week, Passion Week, where Jesus is on his way to the cross. Jesus has just, like beginning of Mark 11, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem on a donkey and the whole nation is here for Passover festival. Everyone who's anyone is in Jerusalem, all the bigwigs, all the professors, all the PhDs, all the academics, all those people who like to think they're academics but aren't actually academics, like all the, the people who are famous and whatever, they're all here for Passover week. And Jesus comes in riding on a donkey and the whole city, not the religious folk, but everyone else is literally waving palms and throwing them on the ground saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus was already hated by these religiously elite people because he just constantly ticked them off. He constantly challenged their way of thinking. He constantly confounded their, their thoughts and the things that they were doing. So they didn't like him already. And then he comes into Jerusalem on a donkey in Passover week. Now they really don't like him. And he's got the attention of all the people. He's the center of what's going on right here. And he comes into this place and in the end of Matthew, uh, Mark 11, it says that these religious leaders, because of their hatred for him, started to question his authority because what they were trying to do was trying to discredit Jesus. They're doing everything and anything they could to make Jesus look like a fool, to make him look like a heretic, so that the people would realize, that they're like, oh, this guy's, you know, he's just another poser. He's not the Messiah. This is what they're trying to get them to do. And so we come to Mark chapter 12, and at the beginning of Mark chapter 12, which I love, after they've questioned his authority, he then goes and starts, he tells this parable about the tenants of a vineyard and how, you know, how God is the owner and how God uh, gave that, that space. It's talking about, the, you know, the faith, and he gave this to these, these servants, and these servants just ran rogue, and they started, and then he was trying to, get some money out of it and they started killing everyone that he sent, meaning the prophets, and then eventually sends his son and they kill the son. And they don't even realize that Jesus here is prophetically speaking into what's about to happen this week. And so he declares it and though they don't understand it, they know that it's about them. <laughs> it says at the end of that, that, like they might not have perceived it, but they knew he was speaking something negatively about them and they were annoyed about that. And so from there, what we see is that they then organize these religiously elite of the elite people start to, start to put questions in the mouths of some of the other, you know, their disciples to go and try and trick Jesus. Like here's, here's some questions that we can't answer. And the goal in this is to get Jesus to say something that is going to cause him to be discredited, Right? So they've got this intention, they're asking deeply difficult, tricky questions. And so the first one's this question about tax, do you give tax to Caesar? And Jesus answers it literally with the flip of a coin. And you can almost see the people around the Pharisees and their jaws just go, bah, what the heck? How did he answer that like that? 
And then the Sadducees are like, well, leave it to us. We'll have a crack. So the Sadducees come and they ask this question about the resurrection. They ask a question that has confounded the Pharisees for over 150 years. A question no one's been able to answer. Jesus answers it in about five sentences. Silencing the Sadducees, silencing the Pharisees, silencing a 150-year debate in five sentences. This question that was supposed to trip them up, and in this space we arrive at our text, the intention to trick and trip. And what it says is in Mark's gospel, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. Do you know this story is told in Matthew and Mark? And in Matthew, Matthew has a different view. Matthew sees this bloke coming as one of the religious people with, again, with a mind to confound Jesus, a heart to trick Jesus, a heart to try and trip him up, all right? But Mark sees it differently. Mark says, no, 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 this guy, yes, he had a question. He probably had a question given to him from these religious elite. He had, uh, they'd put a question in his mouth with the hope to trick him, but it says here that this guy came and he said, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. This is why the Bible's so amazing and why it's so legitimately true. Because if everything just said exactly the same thing, how could you trust it? It's just a carbon copy. But the fact that it's written from the perspective of two people who are in that space, like you and me seeing an event, we're going to see the same thing, but we're going to see it through a different lens. And Mark sees it slightly differently. Well, Mark probably writing from the eyewitness account of Peter, but that's the origin. We'll come back to it. And he sees it slightly differently. And he says, no, no, this man noticed Jesus had given a good answer. And I think he doesn't come with this question to confound I think he comes with a heart to receive. Or he's like, oh my goodness, you literally just answered questions we've been struggling to answer for forever. And you answered them like that. What about this one? What command is the greatest? Of all the law, what command is the greatest? And Jesus says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Why is this a loaded question? Because again, for us, we just think Sunday school, don't we? Oh yeah, love the Lord your God, cool, let's move on. For these guys, the elite of the elite of the elite, this flawed them. It says, and from then on, because Jesus' answer was so remarkable, from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. What? They saw this answer as something so extraordinary that they refused to question him anymore because they would look like fools. They would look like the very thing they were trying to make Jesus look like. We see this answer as let's just move on to the deep stuff. Why is this such an important question? The reason this is such a profound question is because if you are a Jew, you see God is one. God is holy. He is undivided. And therefore, every word that proceeds from his mouth, everything he says is therefore holy because he has said his word above himself. Right? And so if these guys can get Jesus to say that one Word of God is more holy than other. What they're, what he's, what they're going to do is they're going to twist that and contort that and turn it into Jesus saying, well, God is divided. If, he, if they can get him to say one word is, is greater than another, one part of the law is greater than another, they say, how can you do that? Are you saying that God is not one, that God is not holy? 
that there's parts of him that are better than other parts and they'll twist it and they'll pollute it and distort it and so they're expecting this. They're hoping that he'll do something and it's confounded even them and they're hoping it's gonna confound Jesus and Jesus' answer is so profound because he takes them straight back to Deuteronomy 6.4 which is called the Shema. Everyone say Shema. And he starts with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Let's just get that straight. God is one. But there is a greatest command. What do you mean? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And you can hear for a moment the people around here just being like, oh, we know. I have recited this every day of my life. That's the Shema. They literally wake up and they just recite it. It's toilet, teeth, and bed. That's what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. This is what they said every single morning. So he quotes it, and you can feel him like, oh, the disappointment. Come on, Jesus. I thought you were going to bring something better. And then instead of a full stop, what does he do? He drops an and. What the heck? And like in this moment, I love this because the Pharisees and the religious people are probably like, oh, yeah, we're going to get him. And then he goes, and, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's Leviticus 19 verse 18. Here's Jesus. He takes Deuteronomy 6, he takes Leviticus 19, and he goes, bam, there's your greatest command. Why is it so significant? Look at the Ten Commandments. The stuff that God wrote down for all Israel, all the other laws flowed out of the Ten Commandments, the first four. Love God above everything else. The next six, love people. That's what Jesus has just done. He's just like, you know what, guys? Yes, there's the greatest command, and here it is. Love God, love people, bang, bookender, and that is the fulfillment of the law because it is the law. And all the religious folk are like, oh my giddy aunt. Did he just summarize the entire law in two sentences, one sentence, because he put an and, not a full stop. Did he just do that? And I love the fact that this guy who's asked this question in this moment, he's like, wow, that's how I interpret that, well said. He's like, wow, you're right. You're right. It is the greatest, you're right, Jesus. That's true. And remember the context, where are we right here, friends? We're in the Passover festival week. Like, there's, it's just a big religious festival. Worship's happening everywhere. This is a full-on moment, and Jesus is standing in the center of it. There's sacrifices. There's burnt offerings. There's cattle and stuff everywhere. People, so It's just a buzz with ritualistic worship. And Jesus says, all of this. Everything you can see is found in this one simple command, love God. Love God. And love your neighbor. What's he doing? He's saying, guys, if you love God, you will not be able to help but love your neighbor. If you love God, if you love God with all of your heart, the place of your passions, your desires, if you love God with all of your soul, your very inner life, 
If you love God with your mind, you actually use your brain and you study and you read and you devote yourself to learning and you're like, wow. If you love him with your strength, which is your time, your talent, your energy, if you devote all of that, if you surrender that, if you love God with all of that, the outcome and the evidence will be that you love your neighbor. And you could just love your neighbor. You can do good works. You can do good things and say, I'm loving my neighbor, but you can do that without loving God. This has to flow from that. It's the loving of God which leads to the loving of the neighbor. We can be religious. We can do the right thing at the right time. We can say the right stuff at the right time. But if it doesn't flow from a heart of loving God, then we've missed it. Everything flows from this. And this just like destroys the Pharisees. Because later on in Luke, and he talks about this, he actually tells a story about the Good Samaritan. And he's like, who is your neighbor? Oh, that's right, it's the guy that you hate. And you might do all the religious right things and walk past him and think you're honoring God, but you're not. Because you will not please God with ritualistic, religious righteousness. No, you will please God by loving him, which will flow the abundance of the life that he has given. So there's this extraordinary, powerful thing going on right here in this moment as Jesus declares, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And as I sat with this, I started to think to myself, do we? If this is the greatest command, if this is so powerful, do we love the Lord this way? Because what is love? I have the privilege of marrying people in this job, and over the last couple of years, a lot of you have got married. Like there's been a lot of weddings, and the great thing in part that, about that is I get to spend time with people, and I get to talk about love and the nature of love. And we talk about the fact that there's lots of words, like we have one word for love, but there's lots of expressions of that, isn't there? I love my dog. I love chocolate. I love sport. I love Joe. Now, my love for Joe is very different from my love for Cadbury Dairy Milk. Are you with me? But we have this one word, love. And so sometimes we miss it, but not the Greeks. No, the Greeks actually have multiple words, and we often focus on four, and that's eros, storge, phileo, and agape. Eros being that passionate, physical, erotic. That's where we get that word. Storge being the love that a, you know, a parent has sometimes for their child when we don't like them, but we love them. <laughs> Some of you will understand that later on in time. You with me? Yeah. Phileo is that brotherly love. Agape is about sacrifice, commitment, and surrender. Agape is the word used here. Agape, the Lord your God. Surrender everything. Give him everything. It is about sacrifice. It is about commitment. It is about not just saying, well, I have a fleeting nice feeling today and therefore I'm gonna spend some time with my beloved. No, it's about even when the feeling's not there, 
Agape says, well, I'm going to love you. I'm going to persevere in this. I'm going to sacrifice and surrender for you because I agape you. And that's the word used here. Agape the Lord. Agape your neighbor. Die to self for the betterment of the other. And he's saying, die to the things of your heart. Die to the things of your soul. Die to the things of your mind. Die to the things of your strength. Like, surrender everything, every part of you, the fullness of a human experience, who we are. Give all of it to God. And in that is life. In that is fullness. In that is everything. That's the fulfillment of all that God has done. That is the fulfillment of his purpose. It is the greatest command. And it's good for us. It's not a Sunday school song. It's the greatest command ever given because in that place is the promise of God. And you say, Dave, what are you talking about? How do you know that? Well, it's because we need to look at this idea of Deuteronomy. What's Jesus quoting the Shema? Where's he quoting it from? Deuteronomy 6. What's happening in Deuteronomy, Dave? Right here, Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They are on the precipice of the promised land. Right here. They're about to walk into the promised land. And God is saying to them, he's going, I've got something for you to remember. I've got something for you that I want you to say over and over and over again. Why? So you won't forget it. So it'll be ingrained in your hearts. Remember me. Remember the one who in this wilderness not only fed you, not only made sure none of your clothes would wear out, who not only provided for you with water, who not only protected you, who constantly walked with you and abided with you. Remember that the greatest promise is not this land but my presence. I brought you to the mountain that you might meet with me. It's about my presence. That's what it's all about, my presence with you, my love for you. So love me back. Love me, surrender to me because I know what's good for you. I love you. I've come for you. I desire this. Now you're going to walk into the promised land and what are you going to encounter? You're going to encounter everything the world has to offer. You're going to encounter other gods. You're going to encounter other cultures. You're going to encounter food and milk and honey. You're going to, the great blessings that everything this world has to offer and all of that is there for you, but if you forget to love me, you've missed it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. That is the promised land. That is the promised land. That is the fullness of everything that God has for us. And I find myself saying, do we? What would it look like for the church to love God like this? Israel, they struggled, didn't they? What would it look like for us? What does it look like for the Western church right here, right now? Because this is what I see, Ron. Can we get this table up? You see, this is, this is what I see in our world right now as we come with this same command to love God with everything that we are. Because God in Christ, has given us a table. He's given us his presence. Again, if you look at the temple worship, there's the table of the presence because it's about God abiding. It's, that's what the tabernacle's for. It's what the temple's for, to show us that the promise of God is his presence with his people. And so God gives us this, and he says, here you are. 
This is what I've done for you. This is my love for you. This is everything I've done. You and me here, abiding together. This is what it's all about. And then we come to our culture and there's some stuff that we bring. Because we walk in the blessing of God, don't we? So God gives us a house, but with the house comes responsibility. God gives us money. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Money is important, isn't it? We need money. We want money. We work for money. Like this is, that becomes such a focus for us. Money, money, money. And of course, sport. How important is this? The greatest of all commands. Love thy team with all thy heart. (laughs) Recite thy song with every breath. We gotta know and love our sport. It's a blessing. It's a blessing that we can play sport. It's a blessing that we can do these things. And there's more than that, isn't there? There's all sorts of great stuff that God gives us, like, oh no, I broke that. Joe, we've got to fix that. He gives us family. This is a photo of my grandpa. But he gives us great things, blessings, family. Family becomes important. And study, like we've got to study, don't we? Making sure we know that's a blessing that God has given us in our culture. We have, we've got study and, and that's a part of what we've got to have in our time. And there's all sorts of other things. We've got this really important thing that we need to do, which is fashion. Got to wear the right clothes. And that's important that we spend time researching that and devoting time to making sure we're wearing what we should be wearing. Because imagine not being seen in the right stuff. <laughs> Fitness, health. That's important, isn't it? So that's there, and uh, where's, oh, work, goodness me, we better work. You know, that's really important, you just make sure that you're doing that. You know, with your business and everything you've got going on, that's a blessing of God, but make sure you devote enough time to that, because otherwise the business might fall over. Oh, and there's another thing, that, don't forget that, whatever we do, don't forget that. Because someone might have liked a photo. And you know that this command, it actually says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So loving yourself is super important. No, it's not. (laughs) Loving God is important. We spend so much time looking inwardly with this newfound thing. Everyone needs to love themselves. We put the end at the start. Love yourself, love yourself. I'm like, oh, but I'm struggling. Well, love yourself. Yeah, but my mind, like I'm, I'm hating myself. I've got self-hate and self-doubt. Well, love yourself. You know, look after yourself, do this. No, what if we actually just loved God? And as we love God and we realize all that he has done for us, the abundance of what he has given us, then just maybe we would find ourselves with a really healthy, vibrant, passionate self-love. The right perspective. When we get it right, when we stop looking at this and what everyone else is saying about us, which always, always, always leads to difficulty, the com- one of those commands is don't envy. The whole social media thing is built around envy. That's literally the entirety of what that is, is envying everybody else. What if we just loved God first? Because there's so much, but there's this other thing that in all of that, Rowan, don't forget this, bro. Because with that comes this real need, 
we're going to look up, like you need time. You need time for yourself. That's important. So let's just put that there too. <laughs> Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. We are loving everything else. What does it look like to love God with all our heart? What does it look like to take these blessings, because they are blessings, and put them in the right perspective? What does it look like to love God first? What, is it, what does it look like? You know, this is, Israel faced all of this and they fell over and over again. And I promise you that you're going to fall over and over again. But come back to the text. Come back to the moment. What is Jesus doing? It's Passion Week. He's standing there in the presence of all the sacrifices that are pointing to himself. And he's saying, you are going to struggle with this. This is a part of your flesh. This is a part of who you are. The command is to love God. He's seated at a table with you. He's given us this. He's longing for a relationship. This is the fullness. And we're like constantly, no, no, this is more important. This is more important. I'm going to love work with all my heart. I'm going to love golf with all my heart. I'm going to love sport with all my heart. I'm going to love study with all, I'm going to love all these other things and devote all my time to that because that's what, needs, that's what needs my attention. I need to surrender everything to that so I can be successful. And God's saying, no, I gave you everything that you would abide with me and love me first. Put me first. Let all of this happen out of that. And in this moment, Jesus is speaking of what he is about to do. Which is this. You can love me because I first loved you. You can love me because I first loved you, because I have shown you agape. And my mercies are new every morning. And every time you put this stuff first, you get to wake up in the knowledge that I have come for you. Now love me. Here in lies everything. What would it look like for the church to love God this way? What would it look like for the church to live here in this place? What would it look like if the people of God recognized that the promise of God was not the trappings of the world, not prosperity, but they recognized the, pros the, the promise of God was the presence of God longing to be in beautiful intimate, loving relationship with his people? The answer is, go and read Acts. You know, Peter, when he came before Jesus at the very end of the book of John and Jesus is, is reinstating him after he's denied Christ, do you know what Peter says to him? Like we, again, we read that in a particular language and it's weird because Jesus is like, Peter, do you love me? He's like, you know I love you. And he's like, do you love me? You know I love you. You're like, what the heck's going on here? Actually, Jesus is saying, Peter, do you agape me? Do you know what Peter responds? 
He says, I phileo you. Jesus is like, Peter, do you agape me? And he goes, Jesus, I phileo you. And then Jesus says, do you just, like, do you just phileo me? And Peter's like, you know all things, Lord. You know from experience what I've just done. You know that that's all I can bring you right now. And every single time what Jesus does is he reinstates him and he says, come follow me. And this is his promise to us. We look at this and go, God, how can I put you first? How can I surrender everything? How can I love you the way you're calling me to love you? And the answer is right here. You can't in and of your own strength, but I've given my spirit that you would. And Peter You might not think you can, but I'm telling you a day will come. You're going to be crucified upside down for me. You're going to live a life that so impacts not just the world today, but the world forever. And you will agape me. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. As you come to me and you surrender your weakness, my strength is poured out in you. This is the promise of God. This is everything. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is the fulfillment of the law. And here he is at Passover week being like, guys, see it. Awaken. Recognize what I'm doing. And he says to this guy, he goes, you're not far from the kingdom. Just surrender to me. Love me. Love me. And this is the challenge that I have sat with all week, hearing that voice of God just saying to me, do you? What would it look like for us to love God? What would it look like for us to see all of this through this? What would it look like for us to clean the table Get rid of that. And allow all of this good stuff, all of this blessing to flow out of this. The love of God in Christ for us, which so stirs our hearts to a love that says, oh, I'm yours. I'm yours. So we're going to respond and have a moment here. And all week we've had, I don't know, I just had on my heart just a picture of an opportunity for us to sit with that question. What would it look like for us to love God with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul and all our strength? What would that look like? What is God calling us to? He's so good. And so we're going to actually clear some chairs and we're going to have an opportunity to respond. An opportunity for you to respond, an opportunity for you to take a moment and respond in any way that you see fit to this amazing, loving, glorious God. And maybe for you that's coming forward and sitting right here at this cross. knowing his mercies in you every morning, knowing that this is what he's calling us to. Maybe for you it's coming and just sitting down and spending some time in solitude and just saying, God, help me to love you as in the freedom that you've bought me. Help me to walk in that love.
I don't know what it is for you, but I just feel to create space. And we're gonna sing a song. You might wanna pray for each other. You might wanna come and pray by yourself. I don't know what you wanna do. But this space is open and it's free. And this is about you in the presence of the Lord and no one else. No one else. You and God. You and God. What would it look like for us to truly love the Lord? To take this command out of Sunday school put it where it belongs the pinnacle the greatest command because therein lies the fullness the freedom of life that he has bought for us right here at the end of that week fulfilling everything the law was written to proclaim so it's open let's take some time to respond you've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church to find out more or to hear other great content find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app